Otherwise with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Asanda. Otherwise it is with me, Nancy Richards, talking women here on SAFM. What we have on the show, and we also have Hazel Marquezini and Rob Parkin all through until uh, 2 o'clock. What we have on the show today, first up, we're going to be getting a snapshot of two productions that focus on women. First, the Spencer. Kind of different look at this archetype. We'll be talking to the writer-performer. And in Nipokazi's story, in Ozipokazi's story, we'll uh, be hearing about the triumph and survival of a corrective rape victim in, in Nipokazi. Nozipo Kazi's story is going to be one of the Out in Africa films that, uh, at, the, uh, at the film festival that's start, starting very soon here in Cape Town. After that then, uh, we've just started in uh, Johannesburg, is a global newborn health conference that's bringing together health experts from all over the world to look at ways to reduce the huge amount of uh, newborn deaths, something like 43% of the deaths of children under the age of five are newborn deaths, so something is not quite right somewhere. So this conference has been held, and we'll be looking forward to talking to a couple of the major players to give us an indication of what they hope to get out of it, and perhaps what some of the issues are. So that's what we've uh, got lined up. And what's news very briefly, well, what's news is that SAFM's very own Lady Moleo is the presenter of In Tune, and on Saturday night at a very spectacularly celebratory event at the Standing Convention Centre, she took one of the MTN Radio Awards for uh, for the weekend show, I think it was, together with, and also other SAFM accolades are that uh, SAFM Sports Special, that whole team, won themselves an award for the best sports show. Well done, guys. And also Ashraf Garda, who won himself News and Actuality, Actuality Presenter Award. Lovely, lovely. What we've got, Naledi, on the line to tell us about hers. Hi, Naledi. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. Well, it's an well. absolute joy. It was, it was so wonderful to see your face when you won the, when you won the <laughs> award. So it was really, I wanted to share some of that experience with you. Now, lady, I, now the actual title of the award was, it was for Weekend Show? Yes, it's the best weekend show in the public broadcasting category. Um, and it was just so exciting for me because, you know, and part of the thing that I kept saying to you on Saturday evening as well is that We've been working on this show uh, with Joey, the producer, for about a year now. And, you know, initially when we started, we, our aim was to make it as provocative as we possibly could. And we did get, we did get a little bit provocative, and of course sometimes we couldn't get as provocative as we wanted to. But we didn't think that this, this, this would be the outcome of it a year later. So we're all very, very excited. Um, we were also nominated for the, the, the award that Ashraf got, the Best News and Actuality Presenter Award. And that was amazing for me because I've always looked up to Ashraf. I've looked up to Ashraf for, you know, since I was a teenager and he's been doing all the work that he's doing. And for me to be up against Ashraf was just such an honor. Um, so yeah, Saturday was a spectacular night. Yeah, you know what I what I take out of that. I mean, lovely that you're you know recognising the whole team because it, it's been a lot of work to to put together a show like that. I mean, in tune, it's a, it's a young people's uh, it's a young people's show, and it's quite difficult yeah. within that short period of time to really take a stand. What in what way have you wanted to make? We talk about wanting to make it provocative. How have you tried to do that? Well, I think more than anything, it's not a very difficult thing to do because young people are by nature really provocative. vocal. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, by nature they're very vocal, by nature they're very provocative. But the difference is that we tried to do was we tried to make it provocative in a way that builds instead of a way that, that disrupts. And that's something that's, that's quite difficult to do with our generation because when we talk about being loud and proud, there's a lot of lines that are very easily crossed. 
And I think we, we, we managed to stay within those lines, but with great difficulty last year. And, and, and one of the greatest difficulties that we have is that young people generally just don't want to um, take part in, in useful uh, dialogue and conversation. They, I mean, we had, a, we had a lot of responses from young people saying, why are you having a conversation about the new generation of leadership? Why aren't you having a conversation with a hip-hop artist, or artist WHP, or, or whatever? And I'm thinking, but, you know, those conversations happen all the time. Yeah. These are the conversations we never, ever have. And I'm, I'm just surprised that, you know, we got recognized for trying to have vital conversations on our show. It, absolutely, because there's a lot of negative stuff around young people, as absolutely. you say, and, and uh, yes. a lot of people sort of say, oh, it's, you know, you know, we're really concerned about the next generation, but uh, you were sharing with me that very often you get young people on the program who certainly, from what I've heard, can knock your socks off. You think, wow, you know, we've got all this talent up and coming, so it's, it's yes. wonderful that you're showcasing, showcasing them, and it's wonderful that we are showcasing you, Naledi, because uh, let's not be too modest here. I mean, you really have, you've taken this award, and you and your team, so Fabulous, my dear. Well done and richly deserved. So Very best of luck Thank for the future. So Take care. Lovely. Now, Lady Malaya, wonderful, and I have to tell you, the look on her face when she won that award was just worth it. It was a fantastic moment, so well done to her. You're listening to Otherwise right here on SAFM. Otherwise on SAFM. Where we're talking women here on SAFM. Well, Coming up very soon, in fact, it's just started, is the Out of Out in Africa Gay and Lesbian Film Festival here in Cape Town, running right through until the 21st. And amongst all the, the, the wealth of movies that they have is one called Nozipokazi's story. Now, Nozipokazi Fulani herself is from the Eastern Cape, and she's a survivor of a corrective rape. Why they made this story, why, what they hope to do with it, let's find out. We have one of the three directors on the line. She's Rosanna Scott. She directed it together with Justin Archer and Martin Blizzard. But it's uh, Rosanna we've got on the line. Hi, Rosanna. Hi, thanks very much for having me. No, lovely to have you with us. So, Nazipokazi's story. I suppose um, when you think of how many corrective rapes there are, I suppose you could have made this story again and again and again. Why particularly Nazipokazi's and what did you hope to do with this movie? Well, it's funny, you say I can make it again and again and again, but I don't think it's actually been done enough. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I think it's been getting so much attention is because it's just so shocking and how honest it is. Um, it's a, quite a recent phenomenon that's pretty heinous where people, lesbians have been correctively raped, raped. A, it's kind of inaccurate because you can't cure a lesbian, and B, why would you want to? So I just kind of wanted to expose how shocking that is. Yes, you say, you, you know, um, we don't hear it enough. I think there's a sort of large amount of embarrassment around it, isn't there? It, it does tend to be sort of, oh, isn't that awful? And then that's where, it, that's where it stays. Yeah, I think it's quite complicated because there's embarrassment in two realms, firstly around homosexuality mm. and secondly around rape. When you put the two together, it can be really difficult for people to talk about, especially if they don't have the right kind of resources and the right kind of counselling that they need in order to get over trauma like that. And that's what I think is one of the big problems in South Africa. Can you tell us a little bit now about Nazipo Kazi's story? Who is she? Can you tell us a little more? Nazipo Kazi is a lady living in Fulani Township, which is um, Grandstown Township. And I approached her and asked her if we could do a story about the trauma that she experienced. And what happened to her was she was walking home from a club alone at night and was beaten, stabbed on her hands and her back, hit on her eye, then knocked unconscious and then gang raped. 
um, all her clothes were stolen from her, and she woke up the next morning um, and in, a, in a dirty public bathroom and obviously realized what happened to her. Um, the police didn't find anything, but she found someone wearing the jersey that she was wearing that night with the, with the stab wound in it. Oh. And it's very traumatizing for her to walk around to the places that she knows and see the perpetrators. Um, and that's very traumatizing for her. Yeah. But it's a very inspiring story because she has been leading the way in talking about rape, talking about homosexuality, just really helping people come out the closet and talk about their daily experiences. Wow, so she's put her experience to to a positive end. Uh, you know, just winding back to when the story, how, how long ago did it happen? Um, well, unfortunately, it actually happened twice. Oh. The, my documentary covers the most recent one, which is about one and a half years ago, mm. um, but there was an incident that happened to her much earlier in her life. Um, this second time, the, the, the one about which you've made the documentary, was she on her own? I mean, is this a warning, you know, the fact that you should never be on your own just because you're lesbian is already a uh, contravention of human rights, really. But was she alone? And, and was she, yeah. ha- given that it had happened to her once, was she not sort of super careful, perhaps not to be alone? Well, um, she was alone, and yes, she was walking, wo- walking home at night. But we shouldn't say to people, what can people do to not be raped? We should yeah. say to people... What can you do to not rape? So I don't want to put the onus on her to protect herself. But in reality, we live in a dangerous country sometimes, and we need to take certain precautions. But at the same time, you don't want to um, handicap the way you live because you're scared of being raped, especially if it's because you're gay. Mm -hmm. It seems extraordinary that she, not only has it happened once and twice, but she's managed to, as you say, lead the way, talk to people, Mm -hmm. be motivational. Just tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, she really is an inspiring character. When I first met her, she, I was more or less a stranger at the time, and she spoke to me so openly about it. And as I got to know her a little bit better, I realized that she's been influencing so many people in her community to come out of the closet firstly and then talk about their own experiences. We also interviewed um, one of her friends who said that Nasipa Kazi is almost famous in the township for how influential she is and how bold she is and how she's helped so many other lesbians actually be okay with their sexuality and their sexual identity. Um, she speaks of how um, Sipa Kazi set this trend of wearing collared shirts and sharp point shoes and now all the lesbians are doing it in the township, mm-hmm. which I think is really great because it's important for people to have their own identity. I hate to say it, Rosanna, and you all know exactly what I mean. In a way, the more she helps, the more she encourages other young women to come out and be themselves, perhaps the more of a target she's becoming. Definitely. Um, It is really sad because she's doing so much, but she's becoming a target. Anyone in that kind of position, that kind of vocal becomes the main target. But at the same time, it's just something we have to get to as a country. We have to strive for equality. and we've done it before in this country, and I think that we can do it again. What's your goal for this movie? I mean, obviously it's going to be seen at, out at the Out in Africa Festival, yeah. but would you like to see it go beyond this? I mean, you know, because in a way you're almost preaching to the choir. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a pity because the people that I'd like to see it are possibly never actually going to try and inform themselves about sexuality and inform themselves mm. about rape. I mean, um, within the documentary itself, we look at how people are so openly homophobic in the township. Those kinds of people are never going to 
see this documentary. I mean, I encounter homophobia all the time, and those are the kind of people that are never going to see it. But hopefully that people that are sitting on the fence about the topic, people that are kind of curious, will look at it and will think very carefully about issues about equality. Um, yeah. The answer, in your opinion, and if it's possible to ask you something briefly like that, what is to be done about it? Wow, that's a very difficult question. Yeah, it is indeed, eh? I think, firstly, people need to tackle misconceptions about sexuality. For example, the phrase corrective rape is so problematic in itself. I mean, you can't correct sexuality, and why would you want to? And tackling those kinds of misconceptions from a very young age is important. Um, creating more media about it is very important. So people at least have a platform in which they can educate themselves. I think that's how it could be done. And perhaps with some uh, role models like Nazi Bukhazi herself, mm-hmm. perhaps uh, other women who are in similar situations will be able to stand up and be counted and, um, and work together. Maybe yes, that's the definitely, answer. Rosanna, thanks very much. I know it's part of the festival. Uh, what nights is it screening? Um, it's screening, it did screen on 12th April on Friday, but it's also screening this Friday, 19th of April. Okay. 7 o'clock, Hyde Park. Excellent. That, that's in Johannesburg? Yes. Obviously, yeah. Also Super. in Cape Town, though. Okay, good. Thanks for, the, thanks for that. Okay. Rosanna Scott, she's one of three directors, Justin Archer and Martin Blizzard, of the others, Nozi Pokazi's story, and uh, not even going to use that phrase once again, but you know what it's all about. And if you're able to get there and see it, uh, it's uh, happening on the ni- being screened again on the 19th at 7 o'clock at Hyde Park. But if you want to know the full details of the Out in Africa Festival, do check their site. It's www.oia.co.za. oia.co.za. Hi, my name is Golan Iguala. I'm a Shake the World ambassador. I'm really excited about this campaign because it raises substantive issues affecting us as society. If we were to get our leaders to commit to the Millennium Development Goals, we'd go a very long way towards dealing with some of the most fundamental problems facing us. Goal number one, eradicating poverty and hunger, is the closest to my heart simply because for me and millions of other South Africans, this is not academic, this is an everyday reality. I therefore pledge to work with anyone who can help in any way eradicate this problem. And this is how I'm shaking the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. Um, This is uh, Otherwise on SAFM Talking Women. Well, interesting to hear what Rosanna had to say there about corrective rape being a problematic uh, phrase. And I have to say that maybe the word spinster is kind of problematic as well, <laughs> because unlike the word for the unmarried man, which is bachelor, which sounds so sort of jolly and lively and wow, and aren't we all having a good time? There's something about the word spinster that has ever so slightly a negative ring about it. Well, somebody who would certainly have thoughts on that is Kyla Davis. She's with me in the studio. She is both the writer and the performer of uh, a one-woman show called The Spinster. It's on at the Alexander Theatre, Alexander Bar Theatre upstairs until the 17th. So if you're in Cape Town, you don't have so much longer to go and see it. And I believe it's very good. So here's Kyla in the studio to tell us all about it. The Spinster. Shame, eh? <laughs> why, did you Shame. Decide, why did you decide to write a play about The Spinster? Um, well, I think you already mentioned some of the reasons. Uh, I'm 32, and all around me, my friends are doing the thing, getting married, having babies, buying homes, starting families, which is wonderful, and I certainly some days aspire to that kind of thing. Maybe aspire is the wrong word. But I also felt like they weren't giving me the recognition that, that I deserved in my life for being in a different place. So not having children, not being married, not being in a relationship for a long time now. 
but just getting on with my life really and i and i guess the the um i've always been very interested in female archetypes in 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 how you know that whole madonna and the whole uh, kind of, you know, split that happens for women, and you either this or you that or you this. But I've never been that. I've never been any of those. I've always been a mixture. And so I thought I wanted. I just had this stuff coming out of me, and I'm a performer and a writer and a director. So I thought, well, the best way to to let it come out is to make a play about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's start a conversation. How at a certain age, life becomes a bit competitive. And yes. You know, all your buddies <laughs> having babies and getting married seems a bit hard. But, yeah. but a lot of women women wouldn't necessarily see themselves in the role of spinster. Sure. They might say, "Well, I'm a single girl." Sure. Uh, which has got a slightly different spin, hasn't it? It has, and I guess uh, part of it was to try and reclaim the word spinster, because as you mentioned, bachelor sounds cool. um, very attractive, mm. you know, we all, we, we all know a handsome bachelor or two, but spinster is, in fact, a couple of audience members were coming into the theatre the other day, groups of women, Gr- women obviously love the play, because it's, when you see the play, you realise the spinster is, a, is just a very small part of it, and, and actually I'm... Um, um, digging deeper into into fem- feminine stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, and they were walking in a big group, and one of them said, "Oh, I don't want to end up like a spinster." And I thought, well, that's exactly why I wanted to yeah. prod it and pro- poke it and say, "What is what does that mean?" Yeah, and ending up is all <laughs> ending up exactly, exactly. Yeah, but mind you, we do refer to bachelorettes, and I think sure, you know, sure. But I mean, <laughs> terminology isn't it uh, always a bit problematic? So yeah, as the single woman, the spinster, mm-hmm. you're saying something about your life in particular. What are you saying? Um, I, I guess at the heart of the play, it's about it's it's about saying whether you're man or woman, really, um, and whether you're single or with somebody, live a good life, and and live a live a full life, and don't let the constraints of um, what anybody else thinks affect what you think mm. of yourself and your you, and and don't let it affect your ability to um suck the most out of life mm. really so that's that's at the heart of the play for me and i think I, uh, the word spinster and and the um uh the profoundly female uh, stuff around the play is is a provocation is a is a way into that message for me you know but at the end i feel like it's really about um, what kind of life are you to lead? Yeah, yeah. And just because you're you're going to connect your life to somebody, isn't it, Carlyle Gibran, who says that you don't become one tree, you are still two trees, even sure. though you know. Sure. Well, I can't remember the exact terminology sure. there. <laughs> so, to what extent is it your life? Because I think that there are all sorts of incidents that happens. Uh, you know that I believe. Uh, the Spencer in your play um, recalls rescuing lovers from street fights in Lagos, being thrown <laughs> down a flight of stairs by an Italian-Irish actor and all sorts of really scary things. So, is this your life? Um, it's, uh, a lot of it is, uh, I've had quite a colourful life already up until this point, which is why I'm reluctant to uh, put myself in any kind of box, because I plan to continue having a colourful life. So, a lot of it is drawn from truth, but obviously with embellishments and changing of situations maybe and a little bit of artistic license but what's what i found about this play when i've done it in joburg and durban and now cape town is that different women relate to different parts of the play it really and it depends entirely i mean the other night i had a group of women in a great-granddaughter 
granddaughter, mother, and grandmother. So four generations of a family. And they grabbed me in the bar afterwards and said, you know, we love this bit and we love this bit and we love And they all loved a different bit according to where they were in their lives. And I love that about them. I didn't plan on that, but it seems that um, through my experiences, everyone can can relate to at least a part of it. The grandmother and the granddaughter, in what way were their responses different? Um, so so there's a bit of um, shifting in time in the play. So I go back and forwards and I also go into a sort of dream world and then come out of it. Um, and in each of those phases of the play, I guess I'm talking about a, a different phase of womanhood or a different idea of womanhood. And and the granddaughter was, was relating to the more sort of punchier <laughs> parts of the play and the grandmother was relating to the more reflective parts because obviously she's a part of her life when she's looking back over the kind of woman she has been and so she's in a different whereas the, the, the teenage girl is looking forwards is going who am I going to be and what is going to happen and what is and being a little bit terrified about that as well so you say that w- different women relate to different things uh, d- does anybody feel threatened or challenged yes or, or inspired <laughs> you know what, what pushes the buttons um, a, a lot of uh, no, let me not say a lot, but a couple of men have really hated the play, and they don't. And and I think I might why, be wrong. Why do you think? I I think that it makes them uncomfortable to to see. Still, in 2013, I think it still makes a lot of men and maybe women who haven't explored um, their own freedom, whether it be sexual or um, relationship or life, travel, maybe. Th- th- there is an idea that. Um, that's not what it's about. So, so I, you know, I can't, I can't possibly relate to that because I don't understand it, and it makes me uncomfortable to see to see a woman so strong in mm. in a way. So that's male responses. I mean, I don't want to put off anybody. No, any absolutely not. There are many men who have also loved it and who who have said that it really speaks to them as well. And so. are there any women who have felt a little bit challenged by it? Definitely, for the same reasons, I think. And that's that's always. I mean, men, I can sort of understand if I put my mind to it. I can say, okay, I can see how that makes you uncomfortable, because it's quite raw and it's very raw. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saying what I think with with the protection of the stage in front of me, you know, or what if, behind what me. What of your married friends, these ones who are getting married and having babies, have they come to see it, or young women who are recently married and having babies, have they come to see it, and have they felt perhaps their options have been compromised? Um, yes, I had a friend, actually, who said to me, um, completely hypothetically, of course, but after the show she said, you know, I often do think, I love my children, I really do, but I often do think what it would have been like, what my life would have been like if I took a different path. Because I certainly think that it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to have it all. We're told all the time that you can have it all. You can you can be a career woman and you can be a fantastic mom and you can also live your life to the max. But realistically... It's a full-time job being a mom. It's also a full-time job being a traveler or, a, or, or an artist, as I am. I mean, I feel like in some ways my career is my baby, and I pour a lot of time and effort into it and, and love into it. So, um, y- yeah, they, they, I, I have had a, a couple of women, my friends, say... Um, despite the fact that we love our children and we don't regret our life, and, I, and that is a big message of the play as well, no regrets. 
Yeah. No regrets. Well, it certainly sounds provocative. And <laughs> my, my feeling would be maybe take your partner so you're both seeing it and then you can both talk about it afterwards. Absolutely. Kind of lovely. And uh, it's only on for a few more nights. I'm afraid so. It's a bit of a whirlwind uh, tour to Cape Town. I was I'm invited sure, here. I'm sure it will be back. <laughs> Carla Davis and she's a one-woman play. It's called The Spinster and it's on at the Alexander Bar Theatre upstairs. It's a cute little theatre. And it's on through until the 17th, which is Wednesday. And do get yourself along there if you're in Cape Town. If not, keep peeks open for it because it sounds like it's going to travel and travel. <laughs> You're listening to Otherwise here on SFM. Coming up uh, after the news headlines, Global Newborn Health Conference will be finding out how the uh, specialists who have gathered together are going to find ways to reduce newborn mortality. 1.30 just after time for the news headlines with Asanda. Thanks very much, Sandra. Well, here on Otherwise, where we're talking women, and uh, today we're just talking babies as well, because you possibly know some of these statistics, but every time I read them, I'm always absolutely shocked. Every year around the world, approximately three million babies die within their first month of life. And very often, it makes it worse, it's often from preventable causes. Some of the causes are prematurity, asphyxia, infection, but it's a global figure and it accounts for nearly half the deaths of children under the age of five. I think something like 43% of uh, all the children who die under the age of five are newborns, which is really, really scary. As a result of that, there's uh, starting just today, in fact, the Global Newborn Health Conference 2013 has brought together specialists from all over the world to look at ways of reducing mortality, in, uh, neonatal mortality. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of the goals and uh, some of the things that are on the agenda of the conference. First, we with Dr. Elizabeth Mason, who's the Director of Maternal, Newborn, Child and Adolescent Health at uh, the uh, World Health Organization headquarters. And also to Gary Darmstadt, he's the Director of Family Health at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Previously also Senior Research Advisor for the Saving Newborn Lives Program of Save the Children. So he would know his way around all of this. I think we're going to start with Dr. Elizabeth Mason. Hi, Dr. Mason. Hi, hi. I'm pleased to be with you. Yes, thank you very much. It sounds like a very important conference and we're very pleased to be having it here in South Africa. These statistics are very, very frightening. Are they worsening or is it getting better? Well, um, as you know, the Secretary-General and all heads of government set the Millennium Development Goals in uh, the year 2000, looking at to reduce under five mortality by two-thirds between 1990 and 2015. And globally, so far, we by 2011, we've reduced by one-third. Post-neonatal deaths, that is, after one month, have actually reduced much faster than neonatal deaths. Mm. So, overall, the reduction, there has been some reduction in newborn mortality, but at a very, very slow rate. However, some countries are doing fantastically, and so what we want to do in this conference is actually share experiences and look at ways in which other countries can get up to speed. So we have managed to reduce it by a third in 2000, uh, up until 2011, which is not bad. Overall, it, that's yeah. overall under five mortality, but newborn mortality hardly at all. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of good news and it's cautionary good news, I suppose. Then the, the, the thing to be looking at is who's doing well and who's not doing so well. These statistics that we have, I'm assuming that they are perhaps, uh, you know, that the worst cases are in um, previously disadvantaged areas, rural areas. Would that be, if we were to see a map with the high high spots, you know, the the flashpoints, where would those flashpoints be? 
Well, if you take a country as a whole, um, usually urban poor rural areas are worse than the more better off in the urban areas. And um, But some countries are doing really well. We have example of Rwanda that is actually reducing their newborn mortality at a dramatic pace. Um, also, we have good results from Nepal. We have good results from Bangladesh. Um, but we have other countries where there's hardly been any movement at all. Rwanda, Nepal, and Bangladesh. Maybe they need to be analysed. Have we any idea why? Well, that's what we're actually currently mm. doing at uh, this conference, is to look at what they're doing. They, ha they have made um, it a priority. Their government has made um, maternal and newborn uh, mortality reduction a priority, number one. They have put the um, policies that they've taken into, into place. They have trained health workers. Particularly important is skilled attendance at delivery, that is having a skilled midwife to conduct the labor and uh, delivery of the newborn baby and to care for the baby after, after birth. They actually have um, looked at and analyzed um, issues around newborn um, sepsis, newborn um, asphyxia, babies not breathing properly, and uh, preterm babies. So they're putting into practice all of the key uh, policies. We do have other countries that are putting into practice one or other of the policies, and what we want to do is to make sure that all countries put all of these key um, actions into place. The target audience for this, uh, or when I say audience, the, the target really for the conference itself is, is whom? Is it, you, you know, ministries of health? Because when you say that these countries in particular uh, are looking at these issues and all these policies have been put in place, it's been made a priority. By whom? The departments of, of health in each case? It's a combination. We mm. actually have uh, participants from ministries of health. We have a uh, Deputy Minister, we have uh, Directors of Health Services, Directors of Maternal and Child Health. We also have partners, so we have many NGOs um, who are here with us, uh, who are working in the countries. We have our UN organizations, WHO, UNICEF, who are working with the countries. We have foundations, and you will be speaking to Gary uh, Darnstead shortly. Um, and we have um, some private sector because they can also um, contribute to um, the advocacy and also contribute to supporting the countries in terms of uh, implementing these strategies, making sure the right commodities are there, the right uh, um, equipment is available, for example. Yes. So a lot of work to be done by a lot of people. I mean, it, it requires a sort of a collective uh, let's we have Gary on the line, Gary Darmstadt, who's a Director of Family Health at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Gary, are you with us? Yes, I am. Lovely, thank yes, you thank very you. much. Can we just go back to some of the major causes there? Dr. Mason was mentioning, uh, I think, asphyxia, I, I think the other way, infections, prematurity. Right, those are the top three. Yes. Just, just talk us through each one of those. Well, in, in poor countries where most of these deaths are taking place, infection is, is a big cause of death. In fact, in some of the poorest, particularly rural communities, infections can be up, up to about half of the deaths of newborns. And it's because of, of um, you know, poor sanitation, poor 
hygienic conditions, poor practices around hand washing, for example, and, and, and often really quite different perceptions about, um, you know, what, what is unhygienic, what, what, is, what is dirty, what are germs, you know, some, some pretty basic knowledge gaps there on, on the part of communities. And, you know, so there, there, there are some really important but really simple things that can be done to avert uh, deaths from infections. Um, one of those, as, as I mentioned, is hand washing. Mm. Another really key thing is breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is one of the most powerful interventions that we that we have in, in public health for saving the lives of, of children, and it's something that we're actively um, promoting and, and trying to get women to do nothing but breastfeed for the first six months, and, and then to teach how to transition to healthy um, feeding after the age of six months. Another new intervention that's come along recently that's really exciting is there's an antiseptic called chlorhexidine, and we realize that when the umbilical cord is cut, uh, and it's often cut, you know, let's say if you're you're in a, a poor hospital, may, maybe you don't even have running water, um, you know, real challenges around keeping things clean, or maybe a baby's being born at home. Um, that an antiseptic put on the umbilical cord can prevent the invasion of bacteria through those cut blood vessels into the bloodstream. And so this is something that, that mothers can do, that, that community health workers can do, and, and it can, can uh, save many lives. Um, around birth asphyxia uh, or not getting you know, proper oxygenation, not getting proper breathing established right at the time of birth, you know, th- this is a real emergency. This is something where you've essentially got you know, a minute or two to intervene or it's going to be too late. And, and so in this instance, really important that, that we promote birth with skilled attendants, as, as Dr. Mason was mentioning. That, that they have the skills to manage that kind of situation and that they know how to stimulate um, breathing in babies. Um, the other major cause is preterm birth. Yeah. And this, this one actually is the biggest cause of all three now. Um, a little bit over, right around a million uh, deaths each year from complications of prematurity. And, and this is a situation where uh, there are some real simple things that can make a huge difference for, for preterm babies and, and that everybody essentially could do. Um, things like providing kangaroo mother care. Kangaroo mother care is, is um, where a, a mom or could even be a father um, takes the baby and holds that baby very close, skin to skin, and provides warmth to the baby in, in the cases where the mother is doing it, it stimulates breastfeeding, it reduces infections, and we can we can cut down deaths in preterm babies by half mm. just by something that simple. Gosh. It's really, you know, as you talk, I'm thinking the, the preventability of it is what's so alarming because it really is so within our grasp. Just going back to the infection that you were mentioning and the, the lack of hand washing and the poor sanitation hygiene and so on, it's whilst the medical profession and the NGOs and all the people who are involved need to be alerted, very often, it, you know, the, the problem lies with the, with the parents, with the mother herself. You know, it's, it's at grassroots level mm-hmm. that there needs to be education, I suppose. 
Yes, and, and you know, th- this is where it, it really takes a whole variety of partners to work together to get this information out. And, and you know, w- one of the key points there is, is that we need consistent messaging at all levels. You know, yes, it's true that often there's a real lack of, of education on, on the part of families, on the part of poor communities, but, but even, you know, doctors in, in health clinics often aren't properly washing their hands. And, and um, so we need to get the messages consistently so that when people do have contact with the health system, they're hearing the same things as they're hearing, for example, from NGOs and, and other providers who can be out um, in communities working with families to help them improve their practices and, and to understand, for example, what, what the risk of not washing your hands is, is about. Yeah. Dr. Mason, coming back to the conference itself and its purposes, and as you say quite rightly, we don't have so very much longer to go before 2015 with Millennium Development Goals. What needs to happen? Is more research required? It sounds like we've got a lot of statistics. It sounds like we know a lot of what's going on. Is more research required or is more action required? Well, we need both. Yeah. Um, we do need action and um, to put into place the... Um, interventions that uh, Gary has just talked about and we certainly have um, a lot of information already and we've um, we know how to prevent sepsis, we know how to manage sepsis, we know how to manage preterm birth for example but we don't know how to prevent it. Um, if we look at all of the ways and means to prevent preterm birth at the moment we may prevent or even maximum 20%. So many babies are being born preterm and we don't know why. So we do need more um, research around, uh, around preterm and about how to, uh, to prevent it. We also need more research about um, prevention of interpartum asphyxia, better monitoring during labor. We do have good tools for monitoring during labor, but we actually need to make them simpler. We need to make them um, more uh, foolproof for a better, want of a better word, um, and more predictable because of babies who are born asphyxiated. We also get babies who are stillborn, and there is a fine dividing line between a baby being born stillbirth, uh, being born stillbirth and also um, a baby who is born um, and is not breathing properly. Mm. So we need more research in that aspect as well. Um, but we do have enough to be going on with. We have enough information and we have, a, uh, we have been conducting studies over the last uh, 10 years and now we really have um, good information to be going on with um, from the results of the research, particularly as Gary was talking about on the prevention and management of infection and the management of these preterm babies and uh, those that are born asphyxiated. Gary Dunstead, going back to what you were saying about, you know, certainly in the case of birth asphyxia, it's a real sort of emergency situation, requires medical input, and I'm assuming that right across the world we probably don't have enough medical professionals to go around, but what we do have the potential for is more midwives. Do you think that if there were more midwife training, uh, you know, it's it's sort of kind of the old-fashioned way, this would help? This would absolutely help. We have a critical shortage of, of midwives around the world. And you know, one thing that we have learned in, in public health over the last couple of decades is that 
there's a lot of things that you think you traditionally think of as um, skills or, or procedures that doctors would perform, um, or even knowledge that, that in fact, you know, midwives and, and in some cases even community health workers can be trained to do some really effective things. You know, one of the more um, effective things that have been done here in in uh, in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa, and in Malawi, for example, we call it task shifting, where you take a task that, that typically is performed, say, by a doctor, something even like a cesarean section, and and equip a midwife, you know, with, with the proper skills and support that they can do, you know, procedures like that. You can take um, community health workers that in some cases have, you know, very little in the way of, of background in, in health or, or in many cases have, have never even worked before. And by putting them through some careful training and providing them some supervision, they can also do things often like detecting illness, um, you know, providing some simple um, some simple measures, and then knowing when it's over their head and knowing when to refer on to the health center. And so these kinds of cadres can really make a huge difference um, in, in a cost-effective way to address um, many of the common conditions that mothers and, and newborns and children face. Yes, and a side benefit of that would be that it would be job creation. It would be doing everybody a favor. Absolutely. Just lastly, um, Gary Dumsart, thank you very much. And I'm just going to give out the website for the Gates Foundation. I'm sure there's a whole lot more information on that. Uh, GatesFoundation.org. Gary Dumsart is the Director of Family Health at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, Dr. Mason, very briefly, is it hope that something very constructive will come out of this conference, which I think finishes on Thursday, a lot to cover? What, what is hoped that will be the uh, result? Absolutely, because we are as a um, global community together with the, um, all of the, the global and the countries as stakeholders developing a global action plan for, <clears throat> for newborn health. And um, we are having, um, reusing this conference as a consultation process for key inputs towards this global action plan. This will be followed by further consultation um, with countries, with other stakeholders over the coming months. And we aim to launch this action plan um, in uh, November this year in, uh, at the same time as World Prematurity Day. And um, through this consultation process, we are getting buy-in from countries, from um, different organizations, different stakeholders, um, and in that buy-in, looking at um, key actions that are being taken. And we heard this morning that that South Africa is uh, developing and has already got a draft of their um, action plan for newborn health. So it's very exciting that there is this commitment and really people um, and countries, importantly, yeah. are seeing that something can be done to um, avert the deaths of all of these newborns. Dr. Elizabeth Mason, thank you so much. Dr. Elizabeth Mason is the Director of Maternal, Newborn, Child and Adolescent Health at the uh, World Health Organization headquarters talking there about the Global Newborn Health Conference 2013. If you'd like more information, newborn2013.com. Next up, it's Sharp Sharp, the children's program.